Amen. So, you know, those uh, worship songs and praise songs we sung this morning are all significant. And just all fitting in with what we're talking about at the moment is, is Kairos. You know, that we as, as a church, and it's true of all churches, we are in a Kairos moment. So we talked about the last couple of weeks. And in, the, in, in Greek, which of course the New Testament is written in Greek, there are two words used for time, which is one's Kronos and one's, um, one's uh, Kairos. A chronos is where we get the word chrono, you know, chronological and chronology from, just meaning you know, how we measure time. Okay, and then the other word is, is kairos, and that's talking about God's appointed times. It's, it's got a different, different meaning to it. It's about God's time, something that God's decided, God's, God's appointed. So as, as a church, as believers, of, as believers, as a church family, we are in a, a divine time. Amen? A divine orchestrated time. Um, we, we spent a couple of weeks ago just talking about the realities of the times that we're in, the end times that we're in, and what's going on in our world, what's going on in our, in our society. That we need to understand the times that we're in. Not fear anything, not, not worry about anything, because our hope is completely in God. Amen. Our trust is in God. But just understand, just recognize the times we are in. And you only have to watch the news for like two minutes these days, don't you, to see the times that we're, that we're in. The thing, the things are just are just messed up in 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 so many in so many ways. But Jesus predicted those those realities, and what what would you know what would happen in the last in the last days. So we need to understand that we're in a in a kairos moment, and so to to recognise that, but also that in those last days, God's going to pour out His Holy Spirit. Amen. And and as prophesied in Joel, and of course. Peter, in his great discourse in, in Acts, Acts 2, uh, quotes, quotes from Joel and, and says about, you know, in the last days I'll pour my spirit on all flesh and, and talks about that. That's what God's doing in, the, in, this, in this time. Amen. He's doing, he's doing all around the world. And so, so often we can have a very westernized focus on Christianity. It's just a reality, isn't it? And sometimes we can think, well, you know, in the West, you know, Christianity is not what it, not what it used to be. And, and we can so often think that. And our media portray, portray that because it's like, they lap that up because they love that kind of stuff. Um, you know, church attendance, not what it used to be, which puts truth in. Although, although it's also truth in that people just used to go to church because it was just part of our culture. Um, and, you know, whether it meant anything to them or not, that was also true. And that's still true in lots of parts of the United States. You know, it's just the culture is just to go to church. It may not mean anything to them at all, uh, particularly in the Bible Belt and the southern states. And obviously, there's lots of authentic Christians, don't misunderstand me. But some people, but it's also part of their culture. You just go. You just go to church. It's what you do on a Sunday, but it may not have any reality in our lives at all. And in England, used to be a bit like that to some extent, didn't it? Where lots of people just went to church, but it didn't necessarily work in their lives. So sometimes that gets lost. I think in the whole conversation about church attendance. But often we can we can so focus on on, on the West, you know. But God is doing loads of great stuff all across the world. Now in South America, the church is exploding. It's exploding. Some of my relatives are missionaries in in Brazil and have been out. Or their ancestors have been out there since the 1930s doing a load of kind of great stuff. They oversee 150 churches in northeast uh, northeast Brazil, which is a very very poor part of Brazil, a very very dry part of Brazil. It's nowhere near the rainforest. It hardly ever rains. Uh, Brazil's a massive, massive uh, more than half of South America. It's a huge country. Anyway, and but what God is doing there, it's just incredible. And in fact, the, the biggest issue, the biggest issue they actually have is, is the challenge with the Catholic Church, because tons of people are, are turning from Catholicism and kind of the whole way they get tied up in that, if I can put it in that way, 
and becoming evangelical Christians. That's the Catholic Church who are most against <laughs> what they're doing. It's Philippines, and there's a similar problem. It's the Catholic Church actually try and stop Christianity more than anything else. So, but God is doing great stuff all across the world, and in China and in, in, in the persecuted parts of the world, God is doing amazing, amazing things. God is doing great stuff in the West as well. Okay, but what I'm saying is that so often we can get focused, or even, even for us as Christians, we can get drawn into the media narrative. You know, that Christianity is, de- is declining, people don't care about religion anymore, you know, people, we've gone past that, we're in a postmodern world, that's kind of like the fairy tales for like <laughs> medieval times. But this is, this is not the reality across the world, God is doing amazing stuff, you know, there are more Christians on this planet than there have ever been in this entire history. That's the reality, but the media will never ever say that, will never ever talk about that, because it's like it doesn't fit their narrative that we don't need God anymore, right? So we have to remember all this stuff that God is doing all across the world. We need to know the time that we're in. And last week we talked about knowing our, our purpose in all that, knowing our position in that, that God is God, is God of purpose. Um, I know some of you couldn't be there last uh, week because we were being in the evening and stuff. I know that's just tricky for some people. So I'd really encourage you to catch up on the message. You can get it on the website or Spotify. really encourage you to catch up on the message if you weren't there. We're just going to do a very brief recap because time's short this morning. But we looked at that God is a God of purpose. That we're, that we're called as, as a church, as a body of believers, to work for his purposes. Amen? And our destiny and our success come when we recognize a moment and our purpose in it. Um, and we looked kind of briefly at different people in the Bible and how God called them for a specific purpose. Well, you know, one of those is Esther, which you know, for such a time as this, that she was called for a specific reason by God. And we looked at Moses and, and Joseph and, and, of course, Jesus, Jesus himself. God, God had put redemption upon him. It was God's plan before the dawn of time just to send his son Jesus you know, to, to die for us. Amen? And, and to rise again and to beat the power of sin and death once and for all. Amen? But Jesus was positioned for that purpose. Amen? So we've got, when we looked at different, different purposes we have, we're called to be kingdom representatives on this world, to be, to be countercultural, to, to make Jesus known, to serve and to meet other people's needs, practical and spiritual needs. We're called to destroy or to pull down all the works of the evil one. That's what Jesus said one of his purposes was. But as a church, we're also uh, called to do that and to walk in the authority that Jesus has given us. We're also to be used by God to bring healing and recovery to broken people. Jesus, doesn't he, in, in Luke 4, he, he, he reads out a scroll and he's quoting from Isaiah and basically says about why, why he's on the earth. Now, because I've been anointed, you know, to heal the brokenhearted and to preach good news of the poor, etc. You know, and and that's that's what we've been called to do as well as a church. We're doing it through Jesus, yes, but we've been called to do that as well as a church. Amen. To bring healing and recovery to broken people, and the Spirit was upon Jesus for those purposes, and is now upon us, us too. So we need to understand our purpose. We need to we need to wake up. Spoke about a couple of weeks ago. Wake up, amen. Wake up in God. Spiritually wake up. Sometimes physically wake up. It's about taking responsibility, amen. That God has a purpose and a plan for our lives. Amen? So let's understand what God is doing, get into position for it for our hearts, uh, in our hearts for God to use us in the way that he wants to use us. Amen? And let's know, know our purpose in God. We're all, all called for a reason, whatever of your age, however long you've been a Christian, there is purpose upon your life. There's got things that God wants to do in your life and, and through your life. Amen? And that's just true for every single, every single one of us. So let's rise up to that. Amen. If you know what your purpose is in God, just keep seeking God about that. And sometimes we don't know what our purpose is going to be in, in 10, 20 years' time. Sometimes it would freak us out if we didn't know. So you just have to go with the next step, right, of what God's saying, God's saying next. But let's be willing to step into that. 
Amen. What, what God wants. So we need to know the time and we need to know our purpose. So today I'm talking about knowing our response. What is our response in all this? We, we know what the time is and, and we know that we have purpose, but what is our response in, in all that? Because we need to make a response, right? Amen? Annie agrees. Anyone else? <laughs> we need to make a response. Amen? You know, Christianity does mean us doing something, doesn't it? You know, we're a church, we, we talk a lot about this. We understand we're not just here just to kind of like count down our days to heaven. Aren't you glad about that, right? There's a count down our days to heaven. You know, the reality is you're closer to heaven today than you were yesterday. That's true, whatever age you are. <laughs> that's true. It'll be morbid this morning. It's just, that's just a fact, isn't it? Right? But we're not just here just to kind of count down our, count down our days to heaven. That would be a really sad existence, wouldn't it? We have, we have purpose of stuff that God wants to do in us. If you're still here and you're still breathing, anyone here not breathing? No? So, <laughs> you're still here and you're still breathing, then God has a purpose and a plan for your life. Amen? You know, just like, just like Esther and, and Joseph and Daniel, we're to step forward to be used by God, not, not, to, not to shrink back. Amen? That's to be trusting God. And, and I want to particularly look at, at, at Nehemiah this morning. I've been reading through Nehemiah during the week. and I, I love the book of Nehemiah. It's so, it's so encouraging. And, and if you know the story of Nehemiah... And what he was called to do was to was restore the walls of Jerusalem. And, and um, Israel got themselves into captivity. It was always self-inflicted, bless them. <laughs> um, maybe we'd have done the same. But it was always kind of self-inflicted. God had warned them and said, you know, if you do this, you're going to be taken into captivity. If you, if you sin, you don't trust me, you'll be taken into captivity. And it was kind of a, they had a very up and down relationship with God, didn't they, the Israelites? Not, not that God was up and down. God was constant and it was always there. And uh, God doesn't, God is... As Malachi 3 says, I am the Lord, I do not change. God, God wasn't all over the place. But it's the, peop- the Israelites were all over the place, weren't they? You see that with their kings. They'd have a great king who was like serving God. Then they'd have a terrible king who was telling them to worship idols, didn't they? It was like they had a massive up and down journey with God. But it was all self-inflicted. Um, and sometimes they ended up in, in kind of captivity because, of, because God wanted them to get back their focus on, on, on him. And... And in this, in this time, Jerusalem had kind of been destroyed and all the walls around Jerusalem were, were, had been destroyed. And, and there was a purpose upon Nehemiah. It's just like, we have purpose, Nehemiah had a purpose. And he ends up rebuilding all the walls, not, not just on his own, as we'll come on to, but in 52 days, which is an amazing, amazing feat. So I want to read some, read some stuff on that and just draw out some things that God wants to say to us. So this is from Nehemiah 2, verses 4 to 10. And it kind of like goes on for chapters and chapters. We won't have time to look at this morning, but there's about um, well, lots of chapters. I can't remember how many off the top of my head. Quite a few that, that talk about all the rebuilding of the wall. So the king said to me, so Nehemiah basically went to, went to see the king. And the king said to me, what is it you want? So Nehemiah's writing this in first person. The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight... I stand right in the way. Thanks, you'll see. Great. Let him send me to the city of Judah, where my ancestors are buried, so that I can rebuild it. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, How long will your journey take, and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, If it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates, so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. I might have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple, and for the city wall and for the residence I would occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my requests. So I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. 
when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. I'm going to talk more about opposition next week as we finish off the series. Then we kind of move on to verse 13. Let's read a few verses here. So, so then he comes to Jerusalem. By night I went out through the valley gate towards the, the jackal well and the dung gate. Dung, who wants to live at the dung gate? I don't know how I got its name, but there we go. Maybe it's where they chuck, where they chuck, chucked all their refuse, probably. <laughs> anyway, you can only imagine, can't you? When Tom, as you know, when he's a history teacher, and, and we talk about how things were in medieval times, and kind of, you ever been to one of those old castles? You now to get rid of their waste, they literally just chucked it over the walls, didn't they? Um, like have a hole in the wall, and that was the toilet, and it all ran down the walls, and that's what that's what they did. And in, and in London, they just chucked it all in the Thames. That's just that's how it worked, and people would literally just get you know buckets and chuck out the windows into the streets. It's crazy times before we had proper sewerage and sanitary stuff. Anyway, probably that's where the Dungate probably got its name, I'm guessing. Anyway, I went towards the Jackal Well and the Dungate, examining the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. Then I moved on towards the Fountain Gate and the King's Pool, but there was not enough room for my mount to get through. So I went up by the valley by night, examining the wall. Finally, I turned back and re-entered through the valley gate. The officials did not know where I'd gone or what I was doing, because as yet I hadn't said nothing to the Jews or the priests or nobles or officials or any others who'd be doing the work. Then I said to them, You see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins. Its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. We will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God on me and what the king had said to me. They replied, Let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So there's this specific calling uh, among Nehemiah. He has this real uh, burden. Um, the burden is all because of the purpose that God has put within him. It's kind of something we can draw out of that. And if God's given you a burden for something in particular, then, then maybe that's what God wants you to do to resolve that to resolve that issue or to work to work in that area. Whether you've kind of got a burden in life. I remember having a conversation with Helen. I hope you can say it's Helen. I'm going to say it anyway. <laughs> well, I had a conversation with Helen once. Um, this was before Helen was leading prayer. And Helen was talking about her whole burden, burden for prayer. And, and, you know, as pastors, you kind of think about this and processing it and kind of praying about it in your head whilst, whilst you're having the conversation. And it was about having a burden for prayer. We should, we should pray more. This kind of had all these burdens on our heart, things we should pray for. And I said, do you know what, Helen, why don't you lead the prayer team? And that wasn't just like some kind of, I wasn't manipulating the conversation anyway. I was just, because that, that's a reality. If God's given you a burden, that's probably because it's part of your purpose. That's what I mean. So that's just an example, example of that. So if God's given you a specific burden for something or, or for a particular area of church, then that's probably a big part of God's purpose for you. So this, and, and God had given Nehemiah a real burden. He was like, it's not good that the capital city of, of Israel, Jerusalem, that the walls have, have been knocked down and the gates have been burnt down and it's kind of a, a disgrace. It's what do people think of the Israelites? And maybe Nehemiah sort of, it's a reflection of you know, God's people. What do people even think about God? Because the whole place that um, you know, the Israelite capital city is, is, in, is in ruins and disgrace. So he had a real burden for it and, and had a real vision for it. And this was God's purpose upon him. He shared a vision of what God wanted to be done. And, and, and what happens if you read through chapter 3 and 4, etc., um, then everyone just gets stuck in. And it's, it's just amazing what, what happens. It's a, it's a great picture of church, in my opinion. A great picture of church and what God wants to do through church is, is that just everyone getting stuck in, everybody getting involved. Everyone understands they all have a part to play. And, and different, and we haven't got time to look into all the detail, but they all do different things. And some are some are builders, and some are, some are soldiers, and, and but they all some are guards, but they all do different different stuff. They all have a part to play, 
Amen? And that's true of church. Amen? We have, we have a mission to do some rebuilding spiritually. Amen? That's a calling and a purpose upon us as, as a church and on all churches uh, to rebuild things for God. Amen? So let's be encouraged by the story of Nehemiah. And I'd encourage you in your own time to, to read through, especially the first four or five chapters, because it will really, really encourage you. So you need to understand our purpose, but then it also needs to be a response. If, if Nehemiah had just had a burden for Jerusalem in itself, but it had done nothing, you know, the reality is nothing would have happened. Everyone agree, right? And maybe God would have just got somebody else to do it. That's true. Um, I remember seeing, um, um, I've used the story before, but I'll use it again. I remember seeing Reinhard Bonnke preach when I was a teenager, probably 14, 15 in Bournemouth. And do you remember the Minus the Plus campaign? Do you remember that in the 1990s? It was like a huge evangelistic um, campaign in the early 90s where they put evangelistic literature through every... Tried, I think they did it through every single door in the country in Britain. Does anyone remember that, Minus the Plus? So it, was written, it was written by Reinhard Bonnke, the, the pamphlet. Um, I was going to a church in Limington at the time, so certainly all the houses in Limington were done. Anyway, in that area. Anyway, um, and I, I went to see him in Bournemouth, and he was talking about this and how God used him, etc. And, and um, he... Ronald Bonke had this kind of conversation with God. You know, why did you choose me to do this? He's like a German. That's great, big German. Nothing wrong with German. But I mean, why have you called me to do this in Britain? Well, you know, why me? And if you know the story of Ronald Bonke, he's used loads in Africa and stuff to reach people, and, and tons of people, thousands, millions were saved for his ministry, and he's now in heaven. And but he's like, why have you chosen me? And God's like, well, you weren't my. You, weren't, you need to know the reality. You weren't my number one choice. <laughs> he's like, okay. But he said, the reality is the first person asked, they said no. Do you know what? You weren't even my second choice. The second person also said no. Now, so I'm saying all that to say, the reality is if Nehemiah hadn't done it, I'm sure God would have found somebody else because God's purposes and plans would always be fulfilled. But how, how sad is that in that story that Rainer Bonk told, that number one and number two, they, they could have done it, but, but didn't get used. And how sad would it have been for Nehemiah if he shrunk back? It's like, well, that's too hard. That's too much of a challenge. That sounds too difficult. I don't think we can do that. It's going to be too much opposition. I'm sure this is all stuff that went through his head. And sometimes we have to be so careful as Christians we don't do that. We don't shrink back. Now, God will still get the job done because if we find somebody else who will, he'll say yes, right? God, God is looking for yes people. People will say yes to him. So God was, God's purposes and plans will still prevail. But how sad that people miss out on what God wants them to do just because they're not obedient. That's right? a challenge, right? So let's be people who step forward to, to move from people who are maybe being served to actually serving others. Mark 10, verse 42 to 45, talks about Jesus and says this. Jesus called them together, disciples, and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and the high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, obviously describing himself, and the Son of Man was kind of Jesus' favorite way of describing himself. It's used more than anything else in the way he talked about himself. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, to be served, sorry, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If anyone deserved to be served, it was Jesus, right? As a King of Kings and Lord of Lords on earth in human form, he deserved to be served. But, but even Jesus didn't come to be served. So sometimes we have to change our, change our, our mentality on that, that we're called... Not to be served, They're great, if others are serving us, awesome, but, but to serve others. Amen? To have a servant mentality. Jesus said, whoever wants to become great amongst you must be your servant. This is, that's, that's what God calls greatness. When, when, people, when people serve, when people, when people say yes, when people say yes to God. So we need to step forward and, and to, move in, in being, to move from in our mentality from being served to serve others. 
Men we need to step forward to carry Jesus where he wants us to go and what he wants us to do. You know, an example of this, and it's a funny analogy, but it's a reality, is a bit like the, the, the donkey that carried Jesus. In Mark 11, verse 1 to 3, it says this, As they approached Jerusalem, that's the disciples, as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why, you, why are you doing this, say the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. You know, sometimes we've got to be a bit like that donkey. It sounds quite funny, but, but you know, the purpose of that donkey, it was just a donkey, but the purpose of that donkey was literally to carry Jesus into Jerusalem. It had been prophesied, that's, that's how Jesus was going, to enter, was going to enter Jerusalem on a donkey. And, and it's, you know, people are going to recognize him as the Messiah, as they do, and say, Hosanna, Hosanna in the, in the highest. We call that Palm Sunday, don't we? The Sunday before Easter, which is when it when happened, the Sunday before Jesus' Jesus' death. But sometimes we need to be a bit like that donkey. Let's be willing just to be used for Jesus. You know, we literally do carry Jesus. Not, not on our backs, <laughs> like that donkey did. But we're carrying Jesus wherever we go, aren't we? Amen? Let's be willing to do, to do that. And whatever, whatever it takes to go where he wants to go and to do whatever he wants us to do. Let's step forward to be this, the salt and light he's called us to be. Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16, Jesus says this, You are the salt of the earth. If a salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. That's us. We are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Amen. So we're called to be salt and, and light. That, that, that we are the light of the world. So often we think, you know, Jesus is the light of the world, which he absolutely is. But actually Jesus was saying, no, you are the light of the world. Talk, talk to us. Talk to his disciples and, and, and talk to us. We are the light of the world. Amen. So step forward into that. You know, wherever you go in, in your world, whatever's going to happen in your world tomorrow or, or even the rest of today, you are called to be light in that place. You are called to be the light of the world, to be a, to be a carrier of Jesus. Amen. Let's be people who step away from from being tangled up by things that restrict us and moving to all that God has called us to do. You know, in this world, there are so many distractions, aren't there? So many things that we can just get tangled up in. And I'm not, saying, I'm not even necessarily talking about sin, although that's a whole other thing, isn't it, we need to deal with in life and find victory over sin in Jesus. But we can just get tangled up in distractions and stuff. 2 Timothy 2, 4-5. to Timothy here, he uses a... He uses a, a kind of um, you know, an analogy here. Uh, Paul, sorry, writing to Timothy. He uses an analogy here about seeing ourselves as a soldier. And he says this, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs. But they rather they try to please their commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. So we encourage you to see ourselves as a, as a soldier, a soldier for God, Okay, but not to get entangled in civilian affairs. Don't get distracted by stuff. Let's focus on, on what God wants us to do. Amen. Because so often, because it, it's interesting the, the terminology that's used there. Don't get entangled in civilian affairs. So often we can get entangled by stuff, can't we? You know, we spent the whole of well, not whole of last year, but about six months of last year, didn't we? We talked about running our race yeah. and what the writer of Hebrews says about you know don't get, don't get tangled up by stuff. 
we just lay, lay, you know, lay aside every kind of everything that trips us up and every every burden, and just focus on running the race. Because it can be so easy to get distracted. So we focus on what God has called us to do. You know, the world does what the world does, but and gets entangled in what it gets entangled. But let's be people who are not living entangled. Amen. They're living free in God, and and we're living to please our commanding officer, which is which is Jesus. Amen. Let's be people who roll up our sleeves to serve, you know, all, hen, all hands on deck mentality. Amen? Let's, let's choose to do our best to live out the gifts that God has given us. You now, God has given us, every single one of us, gifts. Amen? And, and talents. Amen? And not even just talking about the, the, what are often labels as spiritual gifts, just that Paul writes a whole list of different, of different things. Sometimes they can be very, very practical gifts. You know, but if we're going to see the walls rebuilt... If we're going to see that in the ward side, this, this area that we, that we know and, and choose uh, to make our home, or some of you might live in Totten, the surrounding area, but this whole area, right? You know, to see that wall rebuilt is going to need your talents. It's going to need your giftings. It's going to need you to get involved. Amen? Romans 12, verse 6 to 8, Paul writes this to the church in Rome. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it's giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. So Paul here lists a whole list of giftings that we need to use for God. You know, just, just being an encourager is a gift. That's what Paul says here, right? If you're just good at encouraging people, encourage people. I mean, who, doesn't, who doesn't want encouragement? Right now, the word encouragement it literally means putting courage in someone. That's what it means. Encouragement, putting courage in someone, and discouragement literally means removing courage from from someone. Who doesn't want to be encouraged in life? I, want, I like being encouraged. Okay, I'm not discouraged in any way, but I love being encouraged. Right. So your gifting it may sound like, well, that's not much of a gifting. No, Paul says that this is a specific gifting here. If you if you you're good at encouraging people. Just encourage them to go for it in God and, and to pray for them and to encourage them to have, have words for them and just, just walk with them in life. Encourage them, you know, whether it be encouraging young people or encouraging older people or middle-aged people or kids or whoever it may be. Then, then do it with all diligence. Then, then give them encouragement. Amen? It's a gifting from God. That's, that's part of what we'll see this wall rebuilt. Amen? And see restoration and see God's will being accomplished in, in this area. Amen? Which is what we all desire to see. Praise God, time's, it's already 11.42. So, time's going so quick. So we need to know our moment and we need to know our purpose. So it's an opportunity for us to roll up our sleeves, get involved, all hands on deck. You know, that whole, that, that all hands on deck, it comes from the, the ship analogy, doesn't it? You know, we, we're a very maritime country in our, in our entire history. And it's interesting, if you go to, I don't know if any of you have been to like Portsmouth Historic Dockyard and, and you've seen HMS Victory and HMS Warrior that's there as well, but particularly HMS Victory, kind of the older ships. And everyone had to get involved, didn't they? Had to get stuck in. I know they were treated like <laughs> some of the lower people. I, I get that. That was not good. Okay? But everyone had to get stuck in, didn't they? To make everything happen, there'd be those who would clean the, the uh, you know, just be spend their time to clean the ship, and there'd be those who cook, and there'd be those who up sails, doing all sorts of dangerous, all kind of dangerous, dangerous things. But they had to all work together to make to make it happen, right? That's where the thing of all hands on deck comes from, from that ship uh, analogy. So let's understand that as a church, we all need to get involved. You know, it matters if you're just involved in setting up, if you're involved in putting up chairs. That is so crucial. You can think, well, that's not, that's not a ministry. No, it absolutely is a ministry. Because if we don't have chairs, then we're not going to be able to have church, right? 
you don't have a, a chair, then they may not have a chair for you know a person who isn't yet saved. You know, to sit on that morning, they may not get saved. That's reality, right? Now, of course, God can reach people anywhere. That's true. But if God's going to reach them on that Sunday morning, that's God's God's plan for the, for their lives. Amen. That chair matters, right? So even in just those mind, what can be seen as minor things, they all matter. Amen. So let's get tangled up, roll up our sleeves, do our best to do, do our best with the gifts that God's given us. Step forward to have that mentality like they have with their donkey, just to be used by God and to carry God wherever we go, to be the light, to be the light of the world. Amen. Have a servant, have a servant heart. This is all key to us, you know, of making things happen, of seeing the walls being rebuilt. So we understand what the times that we're in, we know the moment that we're in, we know the times, we know what our, our purpose is, but this then moves on to our response to it. Amen? You know, in, in church life, there's a big difference between being a consumer and being consumed. That's a terminology I like to use, Pastor Andy uses that same terminology. There's a big difference between being a consumer and being consumed. You know, a consumer is just someone who just uses something. You know, it's like, it's like going to a cinema, going to a theatre, going to a football match. You're just kind of a, 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 a consumer, or, you know, going to a shop. You're a consumer, right? So you, might, you, just, you just do what you have to do, or you buy the product that you have to buy, you watch the show that you, you want to watch, and, and, and that's what you do. You know, but church should never, ever be like that. Now, don't get me wrong, of course we should get lots out of coming to church, Absolutely. But we need to move from being a consumer to being consumed by God. Amen? We're totally consumed. We don't just come to church just like we're just like going to a show where I'm going to be entertained for, a, for an hour and a half and hear some great music and hear the word of God preached and I'm going to kind of go home and get on the rest of my life. If that's your, and I don't know if this is anyone's angle, okay, but I'm just, just use that as a generalization. If that's anyone's angle about what church is, you're totally missing the point of church and what church is all about. We're not called to be consumers. We're called to be consumed by, by God himself. Amen. And, and church is, is his bride. He, he loves his bride. He died for his pride. Ephesians 5 says that's how much God loves his church. So we need to have that same consumption. Now this church, it needs you. Every time I think about that, I always think about, you know, the World War I poster of Lord Kitchener. You know, your, your country needs you. Remember that? Well, you're not going to remember that poster. I was old enough. But you, but you know of that poster. Yeah? Your country needs you. You know, it was to encourage people to, to sign up they didn't realize how awful it was going to be when they signed up for world war one but anyway that's a different story but but there was a whole thing was was your country needs you right and your this church it needs you amen it needs you to get involved whether you get involved or not it does actually matter now you you matter you come to church it matters and it doesn't just matter for you it matters to others as well amen because otherwise, if you're thinking, that, well, it doesn't really matter if I go to church, I'm feeling a bit tired, I've got something else to do, I could go shopping, I could go down to the beach, unless you want to do that in February, but you, know, you could go down to the beach and you could do, something, could do something else. You're actually kind of missing the point, because again, that's having a bit of a consumer mentality. No, why would we not want to be in the presence of God? Why would we not be consumed by, no, I'm desperate to get into the presence of God, I'm desperate to be with my church family, I, I want to do that, I'll lay everything else aside you know, to be there. And also understanding that how God can use you. It's also slightly, if I can say it in this way, it's also slightly selfish. Because it's just thinking me, me. Walking in the projector. It's thinking me, me, me. The church is just about what I get out of it. But again, that's us having a consumer, consumer thinking. How do you know that you're not going to minister? You could have a great conversation with someone. You could change somebody's life through the conversation you have that morning, right? This understanding about it actually does matter whether in church. And I'm not saying this. You know, you know, I'm not the type of pastor to ever do guilt trips. It's not, not ever what we're going to do. It just doesn't work like that. Okay, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty or condemned or anything else. I just want to encourage you in this. Amen? And, and 
it's just a great opportunity just to, and I said this at the beginning, but, you know, we're in a different environment today, different, uh, different room. Just wanted to say a massive thank you to all those who do, or who do serve in any way, shape or form in making church happen. Uh, I'm just amazed each week, you know, everyone's volunteers, apart from me, <laughs> in that sense. You know, everyone's volunteers, my wife and kids are volunteers, um, you know, to make this stuff, this stuff happen. To make church happen every week, and of course it isn't just about Sundays, all the stuff that goes on during the week is connect groups and discipleship and, and other stuff that happens during, during the week, worship practice and all that kind of great stuff that, that, that takes place. And we have an amazing army of volunteers that, 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 that make church happen. I just want to say how much, just, just, just say my gratitude and my just thanks just to, to, to all of you for all that you do to, to serve each week. To, and that we've always had a great culture of that ever since we started in 2011. We've always, always had a brilliant culture of that. And we do across uh, family church, you know, myself and, excuse me, myself and Wendy, because we didn't have a morning service, we went to family church Portsmouth last Sunday morning. I just, it was just, I, I mean, I know about what they have to do, but it just astounded me because they basically they basically meet in the sports hall. There's about five six hundred people there. It was rammed to the, rammed to the rafters last week. Um, anyway, it was amazing. Uh, but but they have to, the setup team have to be there at seven o'clock in the morning every single Sunday in order to set up because they just have they have an empty sports hall. They have to put out five hundred chairs. Have to build an entire stage, a whole kind of lighting rig. Um, has to be done every single week, and then they pack it up after service. Um, it takes about about two to two and a half hours to do it. And have an amazing team, team of about 25, 30 every Sunday that, that make it happen. But that's all because they, they recognize it's not about being a consumer, it's about being consumed. Amen? So this is, this is a great culture we have across the church. But let's all get involved in that culture. Amen? But yeah, I just want to thank you and honor you for all that you do. Though all those are involved in teams or whoever you do. And if you're just praying for I say just praying. <laughs> praying is incredibly important. But I mean, even if your involvement is praying for the teams, that's amazing. Okay? So whatever your involvement is, it's brilliant. But the reality is, and I'm just going to kind of end with this. It's 11.49. I said we finish at 10 to. Okay. I'm sure you can give me a little bit of grace. Because <laughs> we're consumed, aren't we? You're not consumers. So you can give me a little bit of grace. But the reality is, as a church, and this is true of all churches, we always need more laborers. You know, and just like Nehemiah and, and the laborers he needed, the, the more laborers you have, the quicker you can get the job done and the better you can get the job done. There's always going to be a need to get more laborers. So I just want to encourage you, if you're, if you're not involved in any teams, or maybe involved in some teams, but you could get involved in more teams, because I know there's, there's loads of people who are multiple, multiple teams. So I just want to encourage you to step forward. You know, and there's so many, you know, as a church, we've got so many ways you can get involved. You know, if you think of, if, you, if you're in church here at Family Church Waterside and you think, well, I'm just bored, I don't know what to do, I will find something for you to do. Just come and speak to me and say, I'm bored, I don't know what to do, I will find a job for you, okay? So you don't ever need to be bored. You know, our kids' team always needs more people. We have an amazing kids' team, but we always need more people. And of course, there's a safeguarding process that you have to go through for that. Our youth team always need more people. Again, it's a safeguarding process, but always need more people. Amen? We have, we have amazing, amazing youth. Yeah, but they need to be invested in. We have an amazing kids' church, but they continue to need to be invested in. We always need more laborers. And the more laborers there are, the easier it is for everyone. And the better the walls will be. The stronger the walls that we rebuild will be. And the quicker we'll get the job done. Amen? If you want to be involved in our hosting team and just welcoming people, um, I'd love to have a car park team. You know, we've never had a car park team in 11 years. And it's always been my desire to see just people, just to welcome people out in the car park. That's all you've got to do. Not tell people where to park. Just welcome people. Wouldn't it be great to have that? Where people park and there's, there's people to welcome them there, but it just we just don't have enough people to make that happen, or enough people on team to make that happen. Hospitality team is making teas and coffees. It's, it's a crucial part of what we do as a church, is where, where people connect 
and chat with each other and, and pray with each other. is isn't just about us having a social time. It's as important as that is as well as a church family. If you want to get involved in the hospitality team, then, then see Michelle. If you want to get involved with the kids' team, see, see Tasha. The youth team is currently Wendy and our Sunday youth team. Hosting team, see Tanya. Car park team would be under Tanya if you had a car park team as part of the hosting team. Hospitality team, Michelle. If you want to get involved in our community team. Yeah, I have one more written down. Don't worry. I'll come to that. Our community team, okay, this is not so much involved in Sundays. And obviously, we, we can't, as a church, we don't own a building, so we can't do as much community-wise as we'd like to do because there are more things we'd love to do. You know, we have very much have a huge heart for the community, but we can't do everything practically we'd love to do because we just we don't have a building in which to base it. That's just a reality uh, of where we are right now, but we're believing in a car at the moment, we're believing for a building, we're believing for a building, we're building for 11 years, and we're just continuing to do that, and we're just trusting God with that, and we push every single door that ever comes, so just be assured of that, we push every door <laughs> that there is, okay, Cause, and we know that God will open the right one for us, amen, but if you want to be involved in the community team, we do various things throughout the year, then see, then see Stacy, and we do different things at Christmas and Easter and, and, and in the summer, so see Stacy and that, if you want to get involved in the setup team, Again, crucial, I said right at the beginning about putting out chairs. It may seem like such a, such a small thing or, or a minor thing, but it's absolutely crucial for God doing what he wants to do on a, on a Sunday morning. Um, no one currently oversees set up, but Steve, <laughs> Steve Smith oversees the rotor, so you can speak to Steve about that. If you want to join, join the prayer team, again, crucial. You know, we have a whole prayer team, a whole, um, we, we pray on Sunday mornings, um, an engine room, half past nine, and anyone can come to that. You don't have to be on the prayer team to come to that. Anyone can be in that, and all our teams are invited to that anyway on a Sunday at half nine, I'd encourage you to come to that. Um, we've also got a you know, uh, um, prayer chain. I was trying to think of the words, the two words I can think of it. We also have a prayer chain as well, which we do via, via WhatsApp and text as well. And Helen, Helen oversees that. If you want to be part of our prayer chain, just, just praying for specific things going on within our congregation, and you can get involved in that and, and speak to Helen. You know, you can never, the thing about prayer is you can never over pray, right? You can never pray too much. Sometimes we can pray with a lack of faith in the sense of we know that God's heard our prayer and we keep saying the same thing over and over again. That can be true, yes. But I don't think you can overpray in principle, right? It's God wants to know what's, what, what's on our hearts. Not that he doesn't already know anyway, but he wants us to communicate that with him. Amen? And to pray and to believe things and declare things over our congregation and over this area. And any other team, I don't know if I've missed teams, I probably have somewhere. But if you want to get involved in, in teams, then you can. Like I said, it isn't just about Sundays, but all different stuff during the week. If, you don't, if you're not in a connect group, I'd encourage you to go to connect group. Myself and Wendy oversee connect groups currently. Um, then, then come and speak to us. Get involved in, in a connect group. If you'd love to run a connect group, come and speak, come and, speak to us. Amen? If, discipleship team, that's one I was going to say. I didn't even have it written down, but missed it, sorry. Discipleship team, which, which Lorna oversees all things discipleship. If you're involved in a discipleship team about helping people on their journey of faith when people get saved, you know, praying with them, meeting up with them, and chatting with them, um, and various discipleship courses that we run as well um, during, during the week uh, for, for new Christians and for those who want, just want to go further in, in their faith, then, then they see Lorna about that. So there's all different things we get involved in. You can get involved in more than one, loads of people. There, there are people in this congregation involved in four different teams. I, I know that, and you're amazing. But we're always going to need more laborers. So I'm not saying this is guilt trips. You know, that's not my style. I said that earlier. It's not my style. I'm not doing guilt trips, condemnation this morning. But I would strongly encourage you to get involved if you're not, invo- if you're not involved yet. And all you have to do is, I said, just, just to give you the practicalities on this, you can go to our website, family.church, just click on Get Involved, and it lists all the teams here at our Waterside Congregation. You've got a ticket, and the, the person who oversees that team will be made aware you've, you've ticked it. So if you need to do that today, go and do that today. So just go to our website, 
click on get involved, click on Waterside, and all the Waterside teams will come up. Make sure you choose the right congregation, because you might sign up for set up team, set up team in Gosport or something, or the worship, I don't know, um, worship at Portsmouth or something. So make sure you sign up for the right one. Sorry? Sorry? Yes, I'll go and speak to the team leader if you want to know more about it. And I've mentioned who all the team leaders, um, team leaders are. So, um, if you don't know who those people are that I've mentioned, then come speak to myself and Wendy and we'll point you in the right direction. But I'd really encourage you to get involved. Amen? You can never have too many people. There's a job for everyone. There's a purpose. There's a purpose for all of us. Amen? Because I see these walls rebuilt. I see this area restored for God. I see these walls rebuilt and restored. I see God, God do what he wants to do in this, in this area. We all have a part to play in that. I mean, every church has a part to play as we're operating as you know, one church um, you know, across the area, you know, one church body. But let's see this, the waterside area changed. Let's have a heart for this. Have a heart for this area, for the waterside, new forest and surrounding area, to see God truly impact this area. To see lives change, to see lives transformed, to see people set free and healed and delivered and knowing who God is for their lives. You know, my, my angle on where most people are in this, this area, I'm going a bit over time, sorry. Show me some grace, I said. But my angle on where most people are in this area is most people are just indifferent to Christianity. This is my observation and experience. Most people are just indifferent. They're not necessarily anti-Christianity, although there certainly are some. <laughs> I've come across that. But most people are actually just indifferent. They're just like, well, if that's what you want to do, great. But this has no meaning to my lives. Okay, some guy died 2,000 years ago. Okay, maybe I accept that's true. Maybe I don't think that happened. But it hasn't, makes no difference to my life. I just get on with what I want to do. That's kind of where most people are in this area when it comes to kind of Christianity. But let's see that, that change, amen? So we're called to be light bearers, to be the light of the world. You know, but the more of us that get stuck in, the more of us to get involved, the more we have an all-hands-on-deck mentality, a servant-hearted mentality, amen? And the more people we can reach, the more people's lives that can be changed, the more people that can be touched and changed by God. Let's stand to our feet. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Lord God, you're so good. You're so, so good. Lord, I thank you, Lord God. You have a plan for our lives, Lord God. And we want to be people who are responsive to you responsive to that plan we don't want to know just know that you have a plan and we want to respond to that and be part of that plan and i pray lord for every single one every single person that's here this morning lord they would know the part they have to play lord and they would choose to respond respond to that lord god to get involved have an all hands on deck mentality lord to see these walls rebuilt lord god we know lord you want to accomplish great things through us as a, as a church body and a church family Lord, to, to reach this area, to see life change, to see, see walls rebuilt, and to see the, the, the bad walls, the negative walls, or the devil's walls, to see those torn down, and to see those giants torn down, to see the walls you want rebuilt, those spiritual Christian walls, to see them rebuilt in this area, and to see your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, to see your will being done in this area as it is in heaven. Lord, use us for your purposes. Use us for your glory. Lord, I pray that every single person in this congregation will be involved in this church in, in whatever way, Lord, you've called them to. Thank Lord, just say thank you, Jesus. And thank you for all the people, Lord, that, that, that have served and served so hard for, for many, many years. Lord, we pray you just bless them abundantly. Lord, for all that they've sown, all the time they've given up. Lord, all the times that they've put you first or they put church first and, and above their own, uh, kind of, even above their own preferences sometimes. Lord, because they just had a heart to serve. Lord, I pray you bless them abundantly. 
Lord, strengthen them, encourage them, Lord, bless every single worker, however they're involved. And I thank you, you have a part to play for everyone. Lord, use us for your glory. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.